Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Hey, it's wonderful to see you. I hope you've had a great week. Um, if you're anything like me, you've eaten all of your kids' Halloween candy, and uh, now you need to go on a diet. And I get that. Uh, let me do something real quick. Uh, first of all, if you're a guest with us tonight, thank you for being with us. Thank you for worshiping with us. There's a card like this one in the seat back in front of you. If this is your first time, or maybe it's your first time in a long time, maybe you've never filled one of these cards out for us before, take this card, fill it out for us, and drop it off at the info center before you leave today, um, and let them know you're a guest with us. They're going to give you a coffee mug, one of our Summit coffee mugs, and say thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, it's just a way for us to connect with you. We'd also love to connect with you through social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever it might be. You can find us on there, uh, Indiana Summit Church. So we'd love to connect with you and get to know you a little more. Uh, let me read, just in case you didn't know, let me read the names of the people that were baptized this evening. Um, Andy and Brittany Jewart, um, Sue Patterson, Jonathan and Megan Rudick, uh, Tracy Stancomb, uh, Rochelle Thomas, Brian Troop. Uh, Brian, or I'm sorry, Rick Turnbull and Tony Zona. And so I'm so grateful that we get to celebrate with our church family tonight. And if you want to give them another round of applause. Uh, because those are lives that, that God is changing, that God has transformed them. And I'm so thankful that we get to be a part of that. Um, I, I want to do something else real quickly as well. Uh, this Wednesday coming up is Veterans Day. And uh, for a lot of people, Veterans Day is a day that we maybe get off work or the kids are out of school or whatever it might be. But, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get super patriotic from the stage, but I will tell you that the freedoms we enjoy as Americans to worship as we like without the fear of people uh, coming in and telling us we need to worship differently or preach differently or do worship our Jesus differently. It's protected by men and women who have served our nation across our globe. And I'm so grateful for the veterans that have done that. And so if you are, if you are a veteran of any of, armed, of, of our armed forces, if you would, please stand for just a moment. We just want to recognize you and say thank you tonight. So thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. I appreciate you. Stay. Thank you very, very much. Um, I, we can't thank you enough for your sacrifice, for the time you invested to protect and defend our freedoms. Uh, it really is so meaningful, and we appreciate it so very much. Um, my name is Mel, and I am the lead pastor here at the Summit, and I am glad you are here tonight. Uh, let me tell you about a couple things. Um, well, let me tell you about one thing coming up. Um, next weekend, we're going to have tickets for sale for um, a basketball game. Um, we're going to be going over on November 22nd, that's a Sunday afternoon, uh, going to the Kowalczyk Center, and we're going to be, as a, as a church, going over and just watching the IUP men and women's basketball teams. And so the women's game starts at 1, the men's game starts at 3, and so you're on Saturday night, so you don't have to worry about leaving right after church to get over there, because you come on Saturday. Um, those people that come to the 11 o'clock on Sunday, though, they're going to have to be tight, especially if the pastor goes long on Sunday. But November 22nd, uh, tickets will be $10 each, and that is going to be a savings of about $2 per ticket, so we'd love for you and your family to go. Um, people from the summit will be um, chosen to play the games on court and all those kind of things. Uh, we're going to be doing the free game uh, national anthem, so I'm excited about being able to sing that for our, uh, the Kowalczyk Center. 
wow, your lack of belief in your pastor is kind of offensive. Uh, but it's okay. I guess I won't then. I'll let Todd or someone else do it. Um, but uh, we're going to just have a great night. It's going to be a great time together. So I would love for you to do that. Tickets will be available next weekend in the bookstore. So stop by there. You can pick those up uh, next, starting next weekend. And again, the game is on November 22nd. That's a Sunday afternoon. And it is a doubleheader. The women play first and then the men play following that. So we would love for you to be a part of that. Hey, last weekend... Uh, it was a really, really important weekend for our church. It was a really exciting weekend. Um, hundreds of people uh, brought their intentions last weekend in regards to the Imagine Initiative and where we're going over the next few years. And it was so exciting to see what God, God has begun to do. Now, we know there are a lot of people that uh, they weren't here last weekend, or maybe you're here and you weren't prepared last weekend to, to, to make any kind of intention for the next couple of years, and that's okay. Uh, there are intention cards on your seats. There are pens in the seat back in front of you, and I would really encourage you. We want to see 100% participation from our church in this because we believe the next two years are going to be historic, not just for our church, but for our city. We believe that this city is going to be transformed by what God does in and through this church over the next few years. And when I say this church, I don't mean this building. I mean you. And so I'm excited to see what God is about to do, and I'm so glad that he invites us to be a part of it. So I want to encourage you, uh, if you have yet to fill out one of those intention cards yet, um, I would love for you to take one of those cards and fill it out before we finish the service today. And on your way out the door, you can drop one in one of our offering boxes. There's one in the balcony, there's two by the main doors here, and there's one over here on my left and your right as you're exiting as well. So please uh, take some, a few minutes and pray about that and drop that in the offering box before you leave today. And, and I will tell you this, we had dozens and dozens of intention cards filled out from people who have never given to the summit before who have never been a part of that and have said, hey, we want to be a part of this. We believe this is what God is speaking to us to do. So I'm really excited about that as well. And I, I want to remind you about this. Uh, next weekend is what we're calling our Big Give Weekend. And we're asking everybody that if, if you're a part of this church, that we want you to bring your very best gift next weekend. We want to see the biggest weekend offering in the history of our church. Uh, we're going to be able to do more of that and really jumpstart our effort to get things going and really jumpstart this vision. Um, but if you have, um, on the and those intention cards, it said gift from stored resources. Maybe you're one of those people you said, hey, I have $500 set back for this, but we're never gonna use it. So, hey, we're gonna give that toward this thing. That, that's when you bring it. Um, I, I really did hear this last week. Um, there was a couple in our church and I've been joking about you selling your husband's collection. And they came to me and said, you know what? God got a hold of our heart when we saw the kids were giving away their favorite toys. And he said, um, so I told my wife that I feel like God was speaking to me that I need to sell my favorite toys. And he said, they're taking up space in the garage, so, you know, we're ready to sell them. And I was like, wow, that's pretty incredible. That's a big step. Uh, so this guy is selling his motorcycles for the Imagine Initiative, and it's pretty cool. So I just said, well, that's awesome. But they're going to sell those, and they're going to bring the gift next weekend. So that's what next weekend is all about. If, if you are able to do that, we would love for you to be a part of that this next weekend. And in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating everything God is doing. There's some incredible stories that are coming to, to light uh, through this initiative. And so we want to share some of those with you because it really is um, such a fun time to be part of what God is doing uh, here in Indiana and here in this church. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you uh, for being a part um, so again, we'll remind you before the end of the service about this as well. We'd love for everybody to be a part. Last weekend, we started a new series on the book of Nehemiah. And coincidentally enough, it has to do with the, the human being, Nehemiah, the character from the Bible. And this was a guy who God had positioned at a specific time 
to have a specific impact on a specific city. And we feel like there are many, um, there are many parallels between Nehemiah's story and our story, what God is doing here in the summit. And so I just felt like it was so appropriate for us to look at his story and, and walk that out, and let's just talk about it a little bit. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue on the story of Nehemiah. We saw last week, uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Um, he was the guy, he was the guinea pig who had to test the, the king's food. King Artaxerxes was the Persian king. And so he had to test his food so that if anybody died, it would be the cupbearer, not the king. And so he was the human guinea pig. And so it gave him access to the king. And so one day he heard this story. He said, hey, how is everything going in Jerusalem? Because the nation of Israel was scattered across the known world and Jerusalem had been abandoned in many ways. The walls had been torn down. The, the gates had been burned. And so he was inquiring about his hometown, wanted to hear what was going on. It's just like if you had moved away and you saw somebody from Indiana come through and you say, hey, what's going on in Indiana? You'd want to hear the gossip. You'd want to hear the news. And the news he heard was not too encouraging. It was disappointing because the person told him that the people are in turmoil, that the city has been the walls have been broken down. The, the gates have been burned. And he said, it's just, it's in a bad state. And we saw last week that Nehemiah broke down and sobbed and he cried and he called out to God and he began to fast and, and pray for the welfare of that city. Because it wasn't just about the, the physical walls being broken down, but what that really meant in many ways was that that city and the people had no standing because they couldn't even defend themselves. They were powerless against the enemies that surrounded them. So their enemies could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, to the, to the people in Jerusalem. And so in many ways, the people in Jerusalem were demoralized. They were afraid. They thought maybe God had forgotten about them. And so Nehemiah prayed this incredible prayer. He repented of his sin. If you missed last week, you can go back and listen to the message. Uh, you can watch it online at our website. You can listen to it uh, via iTunes. Uh, but, but he prayed this incredible prayer, and we won't rehash that tonight. But then he, he, at the end of the prayer... He basically says, God, give me favor with the man I'm about to talk to. And he's talking about the king. So he's saying, give me favor with the king. And it was not his place. It wasn't like they were contemporaries or peers or friends. This was not Nehemiah's place to ask the king for a favor. It would never normally come up. Okay, It wouldn't be like they would be talking at the water cooler. Hey, what's going on, Nehemiah? Man, did you hear about Jerusalem? Can I get a favor from you, king? Like, it didn't work like that. And so Nehemiah prayed, God, when, you give, when the opportunity arises, give me favor with the king. And so sure enough, the opportunity arose. In Nehemiah chapter 2, um, Nehemiah goes into the king, and the king says, what is, what is, is something wrong? Something seems to be wrong. What's going on? And so Nehemiah tells him what he had heard, that his city had been destroyed, that the, the walls had been broken down, the gates had been burned. He describes the situation to the king. And this is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Then the king said to me, What are you requiring? Or, I'm sorry, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So he has this opportunity. He tells the king the story. And the king says, What are you requesting? What are you, what are you asking? What do you need? What an incredible golden opportunity this is, right? I mean, this is like... You go to the big game. You, you, you go to the Steelers game. Somebody gives you some tickets. You go to the game, and you sit down. And when you get there, you think, man, th this old guy sitting next to me looks familiar. I, I think I know him from somewhere. And you strike up a conversation. You find out it's Warren Buffett sitting next to you at the Steelers game, which probably wouldn't happen. I think he probably is a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So we won't hold that against him. Second richest man in the United States, okay? 
sitting next to you. You strike up a conversation. You talk. You get to know each other. He's a good enough guy. At the end of the game, he says, hey, you know what? You've made quite an impression on me. What can I do for you and your family? Like, really? Okay, here we go, right? Like, I've got my imaginary wish list. What would I do? What would I ask for? All these things. And here, King Artaxerxes, the most powerful king in the world, is asking Nehemiah, what do you need? What are you asking for? What are you requesting? This is Nehemiah's chance, his opportunity. Some people would say his chance to grab the brass ring, right? And it says at the end of that verse, so I prayed to the God of heaven. He, he didn't automatically go to his wish list and go, you know what? Um, I really need a raise because I'm laying my life on the line every day for you and I'm not making much money, King, so could you help a brother out? And you know, if I could get a better house, that'd be great too. And I, if you could do this, if you could do that. He doesn't do that, does he? He said, internally, he does this moment where he goes, I gotta pray about this. Like, God, give me wisdom. God, give me your voice. Lord, help me speak the things you want me to say. He said, so I prayed to the God of heaven, right? Um, I, I, I would like to think that I would respond the same way, but I don't know that I would. Because I, I can be selfish sometimes. I know you guys are never selfish, but I can be selfish sometimes. So it would have been easy for me to go, yeah, here's what you need to do for me. And I've got some, some enemies you need to take care of too. If you could do that, that'd be great. But he didn't. He said, let me, give me one second, let me pray about this. So he, he says this quick prayer, and then in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, and again, Nehemiah is narrating the story, and he says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. That's a big ask, right? It would have been big enough if he had said, can I get a raise, but he didn't. He had a big ask. He said, I want to go rebuild a city that's been destroyed. Basically, what he's saying is, I want to restore its glory. I want to allow, I want to allow the Jews to return to their city. And in a lot of ways, it would confront Artaxerxes and his authority to do that. And so that's what he's asking. That's the request he's made. Hey, let me go back and rebuild this city. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I have um, asked God for things and they haven't come around. Has anybody ever prayed a prayer and for some reason it wasn't answered? Wow, you people are full of faith. Okay, okay, some of you. I thought, wow, you need to pastor this church because you got way more faith than I do apparently. Um, but I, I, I've prayed prayers and I've sought God and I've fasted and I've believed and then sometimes my prayer isn't answered. And I will tell you, that there are times in our lives that prayers aren't answered. No matter how sincere the prayer is, no matter how real it is, no matter how big the need is, sometimes the prayers aren't answered. And it's like our Heavenly Father is saying, what is it that you request? And we let him know, God, here, here's what I need. Here's what's going on in my life. And I think sometimes in our lives, our, answer, our prayers aren't answered the way we would like because of the way we are praying. In James chapter 4, um, God is speaking through James uh, to the church, and it says in James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, the first part of that says you ask, or you do not have because you do not ask. See, sometimes we don't ask God for the right things, right? Because just like me with Warren Buffett, it had been like, hey, Warren Buffett, 
Can you uh, give me some stock tips? Why would I be wanting stock tips? So that I could make some money, right? Hey, Warren Buffett, can you give me this? Or can you give me that? Whatever it might be. But it would be for me. And so what God is saying is, you do not have because you do not ask. You don't have the things you really need in your life because you're not really asking for those things. Because we're asking for the things we want a lot of times, right? God, give me a raise. Give me the house I want. Give me a better car. Help my wife to act right. Just straighten her out. I don't have any problems. If you straighten out my spouse, right? We pray those kind of prayers. Fix my boss. Do this. But God says, no, no, no. You're asking for the wrong things. You, you do not have because you're asking for the wrong things. And then he goes on to say, you ask and do not receive because if you received it, you're just going to spend it on your flesh, on yourself. It's selfish passions. <laughs> I had somebody ask me one time. They said, Mel, if I won the Powerball, is that wrong for me to play the lottery? And I said, morally, I don't think it's like God's favorite thing for you probably. But, I mean, I guess if that's what you want to do, that's between you and God, you know. You shouldn't be spending your college, your child's college savings on lotto tickets. I think it's a bad investment. So, you know, I, I would not encourage you to do that. And they said, well, what if I won the Powerball and um, I had my tithe check in one hand or I had my, my membership in the other hand? Which one would you take away from me? And I said, I would take your tithe check from you. And they said, oh, so it's okay to play the Powerball. And I go, no, no, it's not okay to power, play the Powerball. You wouldn't win the Powerball. Because you wouldn't tithe off the Powerball. Like, it wouldn't happen, right? Like, a lot of times we pray, God, help me hit the lotto. If you'll just do this, God, then my life will be set, and I'll follow you, and I'll tithe off it. And God goes, no. Because if you won the lotto, if you hit the Powerball, you'd never go to church again. I'd never hear from you ever again. Because you pray to me now because you feel like you're in need. Does that make sense? If you hit the Powerball, I'm never going to hear from you ever again. Until you blow your Powerball money. And then, you'll, then I'll hear from you again. The phone rings, hello? Hey, God, it's me. Oh, you must be out of the Powerball money, right? And you think this is unbiblical. It's not. Have you heard of a guy named Paul when he said, I prayed to the Lord three times to remove this, this thorn in my flesh, but he refused to? And he said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, Paul... I'm going to allow you to stay humble so you have to continue to depend on me. And there are times that we ask God and God doesn't respond the way we want to and we think he's a bad God and he's not a bad God. We're asking for the wrong things or or maybe we're asking for something that we know or God knows is going to draw us away from him. It's going to pull our affection from the Lord. God, help me afford that boat. And God goes, no, no. Every Sunday that the weather's decent, you're going to be gone. You're never coming to church again if I give you the boat. So you ain't getting the boat, right? Well, I can watch online. You don't have Wi-Fi on the boat, right? So God is never going to bless you in such a way that it pulls your affection from God. So Nehemiah, when he, he makes this request, I think God gave Artaxerxes his heart and his mind, he could see the motivation because God sees our motivation. He just doesn't see our words. See, you can fool me, but you can't fool God. And I can trick you, but I can't trick God. God sees our hearts. He sees our motivation. He knows what makes us pray the way we pray and ask for the things we ask for. So he just gets to it. 
And I think Artaxerxes sees his motivation is not just to, hey, I want to be a regent over this area, or man, I could, I could be an authority over this area. So he, he hears Nehemiah's plea, and then he responds this way in Nehemiah 2.6. He says, and the king said to me, and parenthetically, the queen sitting beside him, so the king and queen were sitting together, and the king says, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? I love that question. How long is this going to take you to do what you need to do? I'm going to give you the time you need to go do it, but I expect you to come back and serve in the place you're at. So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. So Nehemiah responded and said, I think I can do it in this amount of time. So the conversation continued, though, in Nehemiah 2.7. It says, and I said to the king, it wasn't enough that he says, hey, king, how about if you let me go rebuild this city? He, he, gets, he gets even bolder. And he said, uh, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now again, this was not because Nehemiah was so talented or gifted or um, he was just such a good communicator that the king was moved by his words. It was the favor of God entirely that moved the king to say, yes, I, I think this is a good idea. And not only am I going to let you build a city, I'm going to give you the resources to do it. That's pretty incredible. That's a good God, isn't it? Like God said, hey, Nehemiah, you don't have the resources to do what I'm going to ask you to do, but I'm going to provide you the resources to get it taken care of. You, you don't have access to the timber, but I do, so I'm going to make sure you get what you need so you can do what you can, what need to do. And sometimes we look at what God is calling us to do, and we go, God, I, I'm just a cupbearer. I can't do that. Or we go, God, I'm just a carpenter. Or God, I'm just a laborer. Man, God, I'm blue collar. God, I don't even have a job. How can you use me? And God is not concerned with what you have in your hand. He's concerned with what he can put through you to use you in a better way. God looked at Nehemiah and he saw he was just a cupbearer. That didn't bother God. God wasn't offended by that. He said, I'm going to use this cupbearer to rebuild the city. I'm going to send the resources through him to make sure he can do what I'm asking him to do. And some of you are sitting here saying, I can never do what God's asking me to do. But you are putting limitations on our God. God is limitless. He's bigger than the limitations you try to put on him. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9 goes on to say, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters and the king, that the, now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. So he had sent an entourage with him. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, and just by the way, if ladies, if you're pregnant and you're thinking about names, Sanballat uh, and Tobiah are both very wonderful names. I think those would be great. Um, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, I, I want to stop there. I interrupted with a bad joke, but think about that for a second. Nehemiah was attempting to rebuild the city, to bring honor to God, to do something great, to, to, to reinvigorate a people, to do something incredible in this city, and he encountered opposition. He encountered people that thought it was a bad idea. He encountered people who said, no, 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 you should not do that. What does it actually say? It says it displeased, them, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. It displeased them that someone sought the welfare of the people of Israel. Now tuck that away. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then I said to them, 
Oh, let me, let me skip. I skipped a few verses from 10. We're skipping down to verse 17. Nehemiah gets to the city of Jerusalem, and he goes on this expedition. He and his crew, they go all around Jerusalem. They, they take a tour of the city. They go by the gates. They inspect the walls. They're looking the city over. And the city officials that are there at the time, the people, the residents that are there, are wondering, what in the world is this guy doing? What is happening? Because he didn't tell anybody what he was going to do. He just took off and started looking around. And, and it, if you walked outside your house and there was some guy that was taking measurements and looking and inspecting, you'd be, hey, what are you doing? What, why are you doing this? Do I, need to, do I need to call my pastor? He's got a gun, right? You'd be, you'd be a little bit curious, at least, right? What is happening here? And this is what happened. Nehemiah is looking all through the city. He's taking measurements. He's, he's looking around. And people are asking him questions. So in Nehemiah 2.17, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. And I love how he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, You know what? Things aren't as great as they should be. But we're going to turn this place around. Vote for me. Right? Like, that's not the way it works. He just said, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Because... They were the laughing stock. They were the laughing stock of the region. And he said, we don't want to be that way. That's a bad reflection on us. It's a bad reflection on our God. And verse 18 says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the, that the king had spoken to me. And listen to this. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. These people who had sat stagnant for years said, let us rise up. I'm excited about what God's about to do. Let me be a part. I'm going to strengthen my hands. And what this is kind of like saying is, um, it's like the office worker who says, man, my, baby, my hands are baby soft. I've never done much with them. They go, but hey, let's put on some work gloves. Let's strengthen our hands. Let's go out and do the work. Let's rebuild this wall. Let's build this gate. Let's bring life back to the city. And Nehemiah mobilized the people, and they were excited to be a part of what God was doing in their city. Listen to this. Our good friend Sanballat, in verse 19, says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem, the Arab, uh, servant and Geshem, um, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, and listen to this reply. He says, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. See, Sanballat, um, he wanted to keep the Jewish people weak and dependent. He, he, it was his agenda to keep the walls broken down and keep the gates destroyed because a strong Jerusalem would upset the balance of power in that area. It would rob Sanballat of authority. It would rob, rob him of influence. It would probably rob him of income. And he did not want that to happen. He had an agenda that said, if, if this city gets better, it makes my life worse. And I hate to say it quite like this, but I will. There are people in your life that when you say, I'm making a decision for Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this life better. I'm gonna see Jesus work in my life like never before. I'm gonna make a difference. I'm gonna make a turn. I'm, I'm walking away from my old life. You would think people would celebrate that, right? But there will be people in your life that will mock you, will jeer at you, 
They'll try to discourage you. They're going uh, to be a, a force against you because they have a stake and claim in your life. If you are defenseless, if you are dependent, it makes their life better. So they don't want your life to get better. They don't want Jesus to change you. They don't want your life to be transformed by the power of God. And they're going to discourage you. And some of these people are going to be people you think are your best friends and family. And they're going to dissuade you from being a part of church and dissuade you from spending your life for Christ. And it's easy to listen to those voices. All of us are going to go through troubles and trials, even when we're doing what God has called us to do. Nehemiah, he must have thought when he started doing this thing. He must have thought, the hand of God is upon me. This is going to be easy. No problem. God is for us. Who can be against us? And then Sambalat shows up and goes, who do you think you are? Punk, taking my territory, taking my city away from me, right? Well, wait a second. Hold on now. That, that doesn't seem fair. If you remember, um, probably a month ago now, I shared with you that, that when I moved to Indiana, when I felt God speaking to us to move here, I felt like God spoke to me and said, it's going to be good, but it won't be easy. And I feel like Nehemiah probably heard those same words from God and said, hey, Nehemiah, this is going to be good. When you get this city rebuilt, it's going to be good. But guess what? It's going to be a trial. There are going to be tough days ahead of you. And anything we do for God, it's going to be good, but it will not be easy. Every one of you, when you attempt to do what God is asking you to do, there, will be, there, there are going to be trials, there are going to be tribulations, there are going to be days that you think you should give up. Charles Spurgeon said this, I love this quote. He said, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. Even Jesus dealt with opposition. If the Son of God couldn't make 12 people happy, how in the world will you make all the people in your life happy? It's not going to happen. So what you have to do is choose who you're going to please and say, God, I choose to please you. I choose to live my life for you. I choose to honor you. No matter what the world says, no matter what opposition comes my way, no matter what voices I hear, I choose to listen to your voice. I choose to do what you're asking me to do. I choose to stand firm. And just like his response, I think we can say the same thing in the face of our detractors. We can say, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. I believe we can say the same thing. I'm gonna do what God is calling me to do and you have no right or portion or authority in my life to keep me from doing it because God has called me to do something. And we have to stand firm in that authority and say, no matter who says what, no matter what is going on around me, no matter what mess or drama I'm walking through, I'm walking through it, I'm not in it. Because God's called me to something better. You know, John 10, 10 is one of my favorite verses. It's just, it's Jesus talking. He says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. All of us are gonna struggle at times with difficulty. All of us will. It's going to look different in all of our lives, too. And if you're struggling tonight, there's no condemnation. Because probably most of the room is struggling with something. Uh, struggling with opposition in their life to some degree or another. That, that's life. But I'm so thankful that greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. That, that I'm the head and not the tail. That I'm more than a conqueror. That is the promises we have in him. That we are walking through opposition, but we're not opposed because God is with us. 
If you're doing what God has asked you to do, if you're walking the path that God has asked you to walk, there is no opposition that can keep you from that. As long as you stay faithful, as long as you do what God is asking you to do. Now, I know that there are probably people here tonight, um, maybe you're here, and maybe you've tried to serve God before, and you've walked away. You said, man, it's too hard. It's too much. It's too, I, I just can't do it. Maybe you're here, and you're a Christian, but you're walking through a difficult time, and you are starting to wonder, I don't know if I can make this. I don't know if I can make it through this tough time. And I want you to know you can. I want you to know that our God is faithful. There is no enemy that's going to have a, a place of authority in your life because God has called you to something more than just surviving. God's called you to something great. So we have to rest in that. Let's pray. God, I love you. I'm so grateful that you call us, each of us, Lord, to greatness. You call each of us to do the incredible for your glory, Lord. It is not reserved for people who are called to ministry, but God, each of us in this place are called to do the incredible for your name. And so Lord, I pray that each of us would realize that, that each of us would grasp a hold of that, that each of us, Lord, would, would rest in your calling on our lives. Lord, I pray right now that you just minister in us. Lord, help us to hear your voice clearly and let us respond to your voice. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here tonight and you're that person that's been struggling. Maybe you've been struggling for a long time and you're here tonight and you say, Mel, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really serving God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to. I want to know him. And maybe at one point you did, but you walked away from a relationship with him. Or maybe you're here and you never have. Maybe you don't even really understand what's going on, but you just know in your heart something needs to change. I'm not gonna embarrass you or ask you to come forward. I wanna pray with you right where you're at in your seat. But if you're here tonight and you say, Mel, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna repent. I wanna turn away from the, the way I've been living. I wanna make him Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up real high so I can see it and pray with you? Right. Who else would join this person and say, that's me, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm tired. I'm trying to do this on my own. I'm trying to fight these battles on my own, the opposition on my own. I need his help. Okay. I'd like every one of you in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, to repeat this really simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. It is yours. Use it for your glory. I'm turning away from my old life and I'm chasing after you. Help me live a life that brings glory to you. I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you raise your hand and said that prayer, um, you're whole, you're forgiven. So if that was you, maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't, but you know you should have and you still said that prayer. There's a prayer card in that seat back in front of you. If you would, take that card, it looks like this one. Take it, the side that says Salvation Rededication. Fill this card out. Let us know about your decision so that we can help you take the next step. And then drop this card in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. Let us know about your decision so we can help you um, not stay in that same place of struggle. If you would, do me one more favor. Bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian, but... The truth is I'm struggling in an area of my life. I'm facing opposition. Maybe it's opposition from people around you. Maybe it's circumstantial. 
Maybe, maybe you feel like there's a spiritual attack on me or my family and, and I need a breakthrough in my life. I need, I need God to help me in my life. I need God to do the miraculous in my life. Would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up and let me pray with you? Yeah, a lot of you, all over the room. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Let me pray with you right now. God, I thank you that you are a big God. You're the God of the miraculous. Lord, you are not scared of, of, of difficult diagnosis from a doctor, Lord. You are not scared of um, difficult situations and finances, Lord. You're not nervous when, um, when couples are on the brink, Father. You are the God of the impossible. So God, I'm asking today that you would fix impossible situations. Lord, work in the areas that we can't work in. Lord, bring healing in situations that we can't affect personally. Do the work. God, we're asking in your name that you would do the miraculous, Lord. You would bring physical healing to people. You'd restore hearts. You'd restore minds. Father, you'd, you'd put the broken pieces of people's lives back together. And God, I pray as you do, you would be glorified in incredible ways. And God, I pray that you would do the work that we can't do. But God, I'm asking that you would help us be faithful to what you are asking us to do. Lord, help us to see clearly what you're asking from us and then let us take those steps faithfully and trust you in whatever it might be. Lord, whatever the calling might be, whatever the, the sacrifice might be, whatever the, the issue is, God, let us respond to you in a way that we, can be, that we can glorify you, that we can honor you. And then, God, I pray that you would do the truly miraculous in our lives. God, you saw all the hands that were raised. You see all the situations. You know all the hearts. And, God, we're asking tonight, Father, we'd see breakthrough in situations, God, that you would restore marriages. Lord, you would provide new jobs. That, Lord, you would heal relationships. That, Father, you would mend broken hearts in ways that only you can do. So tonight, God, we're declaring victory that the enemy has no dominion in this place. He has no dominion in the homes that are represented here. He has no dominion in the hearts that are represented here. That you are God and you are calling the people of this church to bigger things. And we cannot be turned away by 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 the enemy and by his taunts. So Lord, we refuse to acknowledge it tonight, that you are God, you are powerful, you are sovereign. So we trust you tonight. We believe that you can work in every situation. So God, have your way in us. God, speak and encourage and bless the people that are here, that raise their hand. Let them see you at work. Let them know you are God. Let them trust you to see them through. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. We trust you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, the prayer team is going to be on either side of the stage as we are singing this last song tonight. If you need prayer for any reason, there was a lot of hands that went up just a few minutes ago. If you're here and you'd like someone to pray with you specifically, our prayer team's available. We want to pray with you. So don't leave here without being prayed for. If there's a situation that you're in need of, let us pray with you. Let us agree with you. So our prayer team's going to be on either side of the stage. Uh, Todd and the worship team are going to lead us in one more song, and then I'll come back up in just a moment to close this out. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room, and then we're going to worship together one more time. If you would like prayer, please find one of our prayer team members. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.